Tonight we're going to start a new study through the book of Titus, which is going to be wonderful. The book of Titus um, is, a, is a small book, but it's an amazing book. It has a lot of uh, wonderful and amazing applications for our time. Um, when we, if you remember, when we studied through the book of Acts, when you get to the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is in jail in Rome. And he stays in jail in Rome for about two years. And it's after he's released from prison that he writes this letter to Titus. Now, chronologically, at the end of Paul's life, he writes 2 Timothy. Titus is written in between 1 and 2 Timothy. And so those three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, those are considered the pastoral epistles because he's writing them to two pastors, Titus and Timothy. Um, what makes Timothy and Titus, they're, they're very different people. And so those uh, letters are different, as you'll see tonight. And so um, Titus is a very interesting person. He has a, a very interesting background and history and personality that will come out as we study this letter, which is why Paul writes the things to him that he does, and which is why Paul sends him on the specific uh, journeys or assigns him the specific tasks that he does as opposed to the ones that he assigned to Timothy. So I think it'll be super informative to you as we go through this letter. Uh, you'll uh, see a lot of things that maybe you haven't seen before, and it'll help you put some pieces together in the New Testament. So let's pray and ask God to Bless our time together around his word, and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful to have this precious gift that you've given us. We thank you for recording through the power of the Spirit and the person of the Apostle Paul these words called the book of Titus. We thank you for the specific nature of the things that you will show us and teach us over these few months Thank you for each one here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as a family, to gather around your word, to worship you through the study of your word, to encourage and love one another, and Lord, to ultimately be spurred on to be your witnesses and ambassadors as we go about our lives. So we give you praise in advance for all that you have in store. We ask for ears to hear, that our hearts might be prepared to receive, and that we might find the courage to obey. For your glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll look at the first four verses. Here's how this letter begins. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God, God's elect, and to the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son, in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So this is the, the opening, and there's so much here uh, that will it'll take us the entire time tonight just to work through these 
four verses and set some context so you know where we're going and how we got there. The first thing that you would jump out when you look at this is that it would be strange that a letter would begin with a bunch of information that the recipient of the letter would already know. In other words, if they're so close, which they are extraordinarily close, Titus is probably Paul's most trusted partner in the ministry. Uh, He calls him a true son. Then why would he have to give all this detail about himself when clearly Titus would already know all these things, right? But we have to understand that not only does Paul know that his letters are going to come under great scrutiny, not only now, but in the future. So he has to set the tone and set the context as to give assurance of the fact that he's the one writing it. But also he knows that all of the churches in Crete, which is where Titus is going to minister, are going to read this letter as well. And so he's writing to sort of he's writing to these churches through Titus. And so that's going to help you make sense of things because otherwise you would look at this and think, well, they clearly don't know each other that well because you wouldn't have such a formal opening for somebody that you were so close to. So look at that opening line, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want you to see is that what's obvious to Paul, what's obvious to the New Testament is that saved people serve. Saved people serve. Genuinely saved people have a heart of service. If you remember where we ended Sunday at the end of the extraordinary 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the statement is made to sum everything up. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And my point was that you cannot always abound in something you're not doing. The opportunity that we all have if we're saved tonight is to always abound in the work of the Lord. I cannot overstate this reality in Scripture. If you are a saved person, God has laid on the table before you the opportunity to always abound. There should be nothing that I could say that would be better news to you than that. Unfortunately, if I said to you tonight that what God has said is everyone here who's saved, he is going to deposit a million dollars in your bank account, you would all be jumping up and down and be super excited. And that is a terrible tragedy. Because a million dollars is nothing compared to a life of always abounding. Think about what I just said. To always abound. And think about this. You're you're not abounding in everything. You're abounding in the work that you do of the Lord. And that you would know that everything you're doing, whether people see it or don't see it, whether people acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it, whether people are grateful for it or ungrateful for it, you would know that it's not in vain. That there, listen, I'm just telling you, you're going to get to the end of your life. You're going to stand before God and you're going to think, what a fool I was. I spent a lot of time 
chasing the wrong things. Now you can tell tonight it's going to be really light and up floppy. You know what I'm saying? But you're like, woo, 50 more minutes of this. But saved people serve. But you know what, you know what today is full of? People everywhere claiming to be saved that don't serve. Good luck with that. But you're going to have to rewrite the Bible in order to make that work. You're, you're just going to have to. You see, notice how he, he introduced himself. That word bondservant, that's the word slave, doulos in the Greek. It means willing servant. willing Somebody who willingly becomes a slave. So he's a slave. And then he also is an apostle. And an apostle, that word apostle simply means sent one. So he's a, he's a, a slave, a bondservant, and he's a sent one. And so what, what those two things are telling us about Paul is that they're telling us a lot about, about his commitment level, a lot about you know, how he understands himself. But, but primarily, it tells you his level of availability to God. Here we have the most bar none successful human Christian who's ever walked on the face of the earth. Nobody else is even close. Look at his level of availability. This book will teach you how to absolutely flourish in your relationship with Christ and your usefulness to Christ if you'll be open to the things that it has to say. Now, now there's, there's capital A apostles. That's only the 12 who Paul is one of who, you know, witnessed the resurrected Christ. But then there's also small A apostles. And small A apostles are, are sent ones. And, and there's a sense in which every saved person is an apostle. We all, have, we all have this apostolic ministry because all of us, we're all priests. We're all, we all have an apostolic ministry because all of us have been sent. We've been saved for a reason. We've been sent as believers. And so how is it that, what, what is it about Paul that, makes him so remarkable that we can understand, you know, that we can relate to something. I want you to be able to, to, to think this through and then apply these things to your own life. And it's the fact that Paul had a grasp of his identity. Think about what you know about Paul just from sitting in church and listening to sermons and and reading your Bible, you know a lot of things about Paul. You know that Paul was clearly not the most gifted communicator. He, every room he walked into, he was, he was uh, under fire. And there was all sorts of people through the book of 1 Corinthians. We saw Apollos was a, was a phenomenal uh, public speaker. And Paul was always in his shadow. Paul was not the most gifted Paul was not the most intelligent. Paul was not the one who was bringing all the 
uh, abilities and talents to the table. But what Paul had that nobody else had was this ironclad, firm grip on his identity. And the truth is, is that there's a lot of things that, that I want for all of us. But there's few things. Apart from salvation, there's, there's, there's few things that could rival my desire for you to, to just firmly and effectively know your identity. Because if you had a firm identity of who you are, everything else takes care of itself. Everything else. All, I could trace all of the problems in the modern church back to identity problems. See, when you know who you are and why you're here, you are poised for greatness in the kingdom of God. Who are you? Why are you here? You know, have you invested time in, uh, in discovery in, of your, your identity in Christ? And do, do you understand how God put you together? Do you understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are? What your tendencies are? Do you know that? Do you care about that? Why are you here? If, you, if, if tonight is the last time you ever attend church here, will it make a difference? Will we miss you? Will we even know you stopped coming? Is there something that will not be getting done because you are not here? And this is the thing. I know so many of you are thinking of other people right now. And here's the problem. I'm talking about you. God made you. He created you. He gifted you. He commands you to use your giftedness for the, His glory in the kingdom of God. And I promise you, when you stand before him and tell him, well, that you just didn't know what it was and couldn't figure it out, it is not going to fly. Why are you here? Why did he make you? It should burn you up trying to figure this out. You should not be able to sleep until you can answer these questions. Remember, we learned in 1 Corinthians that identity is composed of mission and pilgrimage. You see, part of, of harnessing your, your spiritual gift and the uniqueness of who you are is how you interact with mission and how you interact with pilgrimage. Now, when I say interact with mission, I don't mean like go on a mission trip, although that could be part of it. What I mean is, is that we collectively have a mission, but you individually play a role in that mission. You do something in that mission. And the reason why this church is 
so productive is because there are so many little parts that work together to make the whole operate and function the way that it does. But the problem is, is that all the parts aren't, aren't functioning. And I'll never stop harping on this until every single part is functioning. I'm not going to be satisfied just because, you know, all the jobs that need to be done are being done. What's that got to do with anything? What we want is what, we want everything we can, we can get in God, right? Of course, that's what you should want. See, what I'm doing is so bizarre. I, right now, we're having this conversation. That who, in your, who in your life could you ever have this conversation with? There's a couple people. Your doctor. See, I guarantee you Lee spends a great amount of her time, as do there's a couple other, you know, medical professionals in here. And here's the thing. You, you plead with people all day long to do what's best for them. It doesn't even have anything to do with you. And you're begging them to do what is best for them. That's a very bizarre conversation. I'm like you've, you've and here's the thing. When, when you're in the doctor's office or the dentist is on you because you got some, you know, cavity creeps going everywhere. And they're telling you, you know, hey. What are you doing? What are you eating? What are you... And you, th- you get the same look you got on your face right now. Like, why are you getting on to me? I'm not getting on to you. I'm trying to help you. I want you to live. Because there is no other way to live. If you're not doing what I'm saying, you're not living. You are existing. And those are two very different things. See, the other thing that is so evident here is that effectiveness in God's kingdom never happens in a vacuum. The Apostle Paul didn't do any of this on his own. Titus didn't do any of this on his own. They did it as a team. They did it together. There was a group of of people. There was a group of men that surrounded Paul. They worked together that it's... There is no such thing as effectiveness in the kingdom of God for the Lone Ranger. It, it, I mean, you know, it's got to be the most spoken message from this platform. Community, 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 community. Because without it, everything else... It's just a waste of time. This isn't Paul, you know, called by God out there by himself doing all these. That's not how this happens. Paul didn't, get, didn't become who he was by himself, nor did Tim, Timothy, nor did Titus. So we see, look, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice, according to the faith of God's elect. So you should underline... The faith, and then you should underline God's elect. And sometime in the next six months to a year, you're going to have this question. 
And you might come to me and say, Pastor Tony. And I'm going to say, where's your uh, Titus Part 1 worksheet? Get that out. Because this is the question you're all asking. This is the question I'm always answering. This is the question right here. Here we have, according to the faith of God's elect. So what do we got going here? We've got, well, is, is does man have free will? What, what, or is, are only the elect are saved and God predestines everyone who's going to be saved? And that's only the way it is? So which way is it? Are you a Calvinist? Or are you an Arminian? I mean, if I had one nickel for every time I've had this conversation. So here it is in one verse. Now, I just, I'm just asking you a question. Well, you've got God's elect here, right? That's how it ends. According to the faith of God's elect. So you've got God's elect. But you've got according to the faith. Now, I want to ask you a question. Can, can you be elect, can you be predestined through election and then and have faith? Or here's an easier question. Can faith be forced? It's impossible. It's impossible. You see, if, if there was a stool right here and I didn't have faith in that stool, and you came up here and you, and you put a gun to my head and said, either you sit in that stool or I'm going to kill you, then I'd sit in the stool. But as I'm sitting in the stool, is my faith in the stool? My, no, my faith is in the fact that that gun can kill me. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So my motivation for sitting in the stool is not my utter belief in the fact that the stool will hold me up. You cannot force faith. So here's Paul you know, isn't it interesting that, we're, we're, that, that Christianity is filled with all these people running around arguing all the time about, is it this or is it that? And here it is. One of, and there's 50 places in the New Testament, the same thing. The Apostle Paul is teaching both things in the same place. Are we elect? Yes. Do you have free will? Yes. Does that cause you a problem? It should not. I don't understand why it would. Those two things operate in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. If God is sovereign and God is all-knowing, then free will and man's responsibility is absolutely no problem for him whatsoever. See, Paul believes with all his heart in the uh, sovereignty, the sovereign predestin predestining, electing salvation of God. But he also, with all of his heart, believes that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because he wrote that in the book of Romans. So, you know... People read Ephesians chapter 1, get bent out of shape and come talk to me. And I go, could you go home and read chapter 2 and then come back? And then they go, they'll text me or call me and go, never mind, I got it. Just keep reading. 
It'll solve the problem. So what we have is according to this, God's, the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement or the full knowledge, the epinosis of the truth which accords with godliness or which leads to godliness. So again, what he's saying is he's not just saying that this is who I am. He's also saying that if you are a person who understands the truth, then it will lead to godliness. That faith without fruit is futile. The, the claim of, you see, whenever somebody claims to possess the truth, whether they're, whether they're saying that they're a Christian, whether they're saying, well, it, you know, in, in a thousand different ways, you, people, people claim to possess the truth. But if there's not godliness, then what the evidence is is that they clearly don't know the truth. Now, they may know where the truth is found. See, it's one thing to say, well, the truth is found in the Bible. But that's not helpful. What is the truth in the Bible? Knowing where it is is a whole lot different than knowing what it is, right? Identifying where you could find it is very different from finding it. Those two things are not the same. So what we have is a lot of people who have these religious sort of fantasy ideas. You know, they, they've been, they're challenged by the truth, but they're not changed by it. They're convicted by God, but they're not converted. It's just a, it's wishful thinking. Because there's no evidence. There's no evidence. See, it's not, just, uh, it's not just me or Pastor Matt or Pastor Brian. It's, not, it's, it's, it's all of us. I should have said a person's, but a man's message is always going to be heard in the context of his character. Your message, whatever your message is, it is heard in the context of your character. So, so here's the thing. You can say... What is true, but if your character does not bear witness to the fact that you fully understand the truth, which means if, you, if your character doesn't bear witness to the fact that you're living that out, then you, you see, you can say the truth and not know the truth, right? Think of all the people's names you can say that are their names, but you don't know them, Right? Yes. So think about how, you know, wacky things get when we're, you know, when, when we get overly tangled up in some sports team, the way that we talk about, we know all the players' names, we know the coaches' names, we, we even use the wrong personal pronouns, like we won the game or we did this or we did that, which we ain't done nothing. You just sitting there on the couch watching television. 
There ain't nobody on that field knows your name. They never will. Plus, you couldn't run around the field two times. You'd drop dead and die. And you acting like we beat somebody. We didn't beat nobody. They did all the work. But see, we get tangled up. And so here's the thing. You could listen to somebody talk about a sports team, and it sounds like they could play, they could play football. But they can't play football or basketball or whatever it is. Because if they could, they would. Because if they know the names and the coaches and the things, and the, they also know the salaries. So if they could do it, they'd be doing it. But they can't do it. And this is just a, it's just an illustration of churches are filled with people who can say a lot of things. Like they know the right answers to this and that, and they can open their Bible and find their way around. But their character doesn't evidence. And if your character doesn't evidence it, you don't really know it. You haven't come to the full knowledge of it. The other illustration of this is how, uh, I, you know, I've told you this before, where we, growing up, we all learned, we all uh, listened to songs and we memorized the words. Then we grew up and we realized what we were singing. To see, all that time, we didn't even know what we were saying. We knew every word, but did we have, we knew all the words, we could sing the song, but we didn't have full knowledge of it. And then we got full knowledge of it, and we're like, Lord, that's on the radio? Yeah. So it's in the context of character. So, see, when you're not sure what's true, you're not sure what direction your life should take. You're just lost like a ball in high weeds. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You see, if you don't know where you're going, in other words, if you don't know where you're going, then every time you come to a, an intersection, you don't know which way to turn, right? Right? Because if you don't know the destination, then you're just driving. And there's so many people that are living as Christians, and you're just driving around. And when you get to a four-way stop, you don't know if you should go left or go right or go straight. Because you don't know where you're going. And if, you, if, you're, if you're thinking, man, I wish I knew where I was going. Well, listen. You got to know for sure what's true. I mean, I'm telling you that the way, to, the, the way to decode all this in your life is come to the full knowledge of the truth. Know what truth is. Know what's true. Apply truth. Don't do what makes sense to you. Don't do what the people around you are advising you to do most of the time. Don't do what the consensus is. Do what the truth says. And if you do what the truth says, you'll be going in the right direction. You'll know, you'll know what to do. You'll know. You won't be just driving around lost. Look at verse 2. He says, in 
hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. I mean, there's so much here. So the first thing is that radical service comes through radical security. See, whenever you, whenever you encounter somebody in the family of God who has this radical idea of service, what, what is creating that in them, they're not just radical people by nature. They're radical because they have radical security. When you are radically secure in who you are and in who God is, then, then you have a completely different outlook on life when it comes to risk. That just makes sense, right? It's sort of like I preached a couple weeks ago about uh, the effect of the presence of God in our life, remember? And that you can't go out of the solar system. Yeah, it's the radical, it's, it's, the, it's what happens when you have radical assurance, radical security. And so the Apostle Paul seems radical, but it's, it's not. It's that he has radical assurance, the hope of eternal life. So our willingness to risk is directly proportionate to our understanding of the character of Christ. Again, if I'm, a, if I'm utterly convinced, utterly assured that God loves me and God can't fail, then what am I afraid of? Nothing. But if I'm not sure that He loves me, or if I'm not sure that He can't fail, then I'm going to be tentative. Then I'm going to be afraid, then I'm going to be, I'm going to have a spirit of timidity. All sorts of things are going to be, uh, are going to come from that. Have you, have you ever thought about this, that when it comes to the character of God, like how, how God designed this to work in our lives and sort of this circular circular motion to where one thing feeds another thing and so we sort of we we self our our understanding self propels when we're when we're going in the right direction we understand God's character through knowing his word we trust his word through knowing his character it's an amazing thing like, you know, you can't just wake up one morning and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm really going to trust the character of God today. You can't make yourself do that. What you have to do is walk in faithfulness that leads to that. The way you, if, if whoever it is on earth that you trust, how did you, how did you come to trust them? Through time. Through relationship. That's how. You came to trust them. And so it's the same thing with God. And so as you walk in God's word, you begin to you learn about his character. Knowing his word 
lead you to his character, trusting in his character, or trusting it will then make you trust in his word. Because see, what happens is you, you read, you study a, a passage of scripture, you apply it to your life, you walk it out, and you see how God uses that in your life, which then creates this trust in God's word because you've seen it work firsthand, right? Yeah. And so it's just like a child learning to trust and obey their parents. And then if there's a bump in the road, you know, there's all sorts of ways that there can be a setback or vice versa where a parent trusting a child. And then you have to start over and rebuild that. And so as you begin to apply things to your life, then you, then God's word becomes trustworthy and you begin to trust in his character that you're learning about through his word. You know, I can't, I've never trusted in anybody that I didn't know. I've never trusted in anybody that I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't talk to or I didn't, you know, hear from or I didn't. You see what I mean? Like it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And here's the thing. My trust in God can only spur you to want to trust in Him. But you can't borrow my trust. You have to have your own. You have to develop your own. That's yours. That's between you and Him. You know, you notice how that this eternal life, I'll get back to that God cannot lie, promised before time began. So, you know, you'll hear people, you know, all this open theism we hear today. And, you know, you probably hear it all the time, don't know what you're hearing, but trust me, it's heresy. And there's, there's a whole uh, movement of wacko people who think that, uh, you know, Redemption and salvation are, are plan B. That that's God's response to the fall in the sense that, you know, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and God's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. So now I'm going to have to, let's think this through. So they have a team meeting, you know, the Trinity, and they're like, okay, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they hash out all the things and they're like, all right, we got... This plan, this plan, this plan, which one is it going to be? You know, and Jesus is going, well, I'm voting against the one where I go and die. Uh, is there, you know, okay, well, let's come up. Let's, let's do the one where the Holy Spirit goes down there and he does something. And, you know, I mean, no. Before the foundation of the world, I mean, God knew when he put the tree there what was going to happen. It didn't rattle him, shake him, change him, challenge him. I mean, you know, no. He's got that fully under control. Verse 3, but in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So now we get personal with Paul. This is, this is Paul. You know, just being personal. And, but, but Paul's personal declaration is not personal to you, but it does 
mean that there is something that is personal to you. And you need to know what that is. That's sort of Paul's mission statement, if you will. So the point is that knowledge of the truth brings with it responsibility. Now, this only makes sense, right? Think of all the ways that even, even people who are, who are trying to live this lie out, if you just stop and, and, and think it through and have a conversation with them, they realize how absurd it is. This is what I'm talking about. That if truth doesn't have responsibility, that look, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm trying to bring you straight, okay? This idea. Now listen to me. That you can come faithfully. Which is a big stretch for most people today. But let's just go with faithfully. Faithfully. And sit in church. And listen to sermons. And go to community group. And carry your Bible. And be in D group. And even, you know, participate in that. Like, do your work. And show up. And have your answers together. And all these kinds of things. And you're just living this outward appearance of you're, you're checking all the boxes. And then you're going to die someday and you think you're going to go to heaven and you're not going to go to heaven. I hate to tell you that, but you're not going to go to heaven. Because what you're claiming to possess, you don't possess. And I know, I know what it, I mean, you've just been falsely indoctrinated. And here's what you're going to think in your mind. You're going to say, no, the gospel is that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is the Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Yes. But what does the Bible say about saved people? They do things. There's fruit. There's evidence. They serve. They love. They participate. They're not bystanders. You cannot show me one bystander in the Bible. This is why I'm telling you the rapture is going to come, buddy. Churches ain't going to miss a beat. The, it is narrow the way. Broad is the gate to destruction. There's so many more lost people around you than you would ever believe. You made a profession. You're not changed. No one goes to heaven because they made a profession. You go to heaven because the profession you made changed you. It changed you. Who's preaching this message? Nobody. You know what, you know what it is? Every, every, every single, tune in, listen, and, and you know what you're going to hear? 
God loves you. Do this. You'll be saved. You go to heaven. You'll get to this and that. I'm telling you, it's a false bill of goods. He does love you, and you can go to heaven. But there is a cost. There is a responsibility. There is a call. I'm telling you. The truth has been entrusted to us, and we've been commanded by God to share it. Commanded. Just... But here's what we have to understand. Is that this message is not our message. It's not our message. It's his message. See, he does it. It's, it's his message. And this is why this is so important. And you're thinking to yourself, well, of course it's his message. Well, I mean, it would seem obvious, but let me explain to you what I'm talking about. See, at the same time... You, I, I constantly hear false gospels being preached all the time. All the time. In order to preach these false gospels, here's what you have to do. You have to alter the message. You're just going to have to avoid certain topics. You're not going to preach on the first four verses of Titus. You're going to read the introduction and just rock on. You got to all. So look, it's, this is the, what you have to understand is that if I send, a, if, if I, I mean, think, think back like way back, old days, right? I write a letter. I put it in an envelope. I lick it. Then I put a thing called a stamp on it. And then I drive to a building and I open up a thing and I stick it in the little mailbox and it goes in there, right? Then here's the thing. The, the post office assumes responsibility to deliver my letter as I delivered it to them, right? So they can't... They can't open it legally they can't alter it they can't but i have no control over how they deliver it right they can use a truck they can put it on a ship they can sometimes it seems like that's what they do or maybe a rowboat uh they they, they can they can put it on a bicycle they can walk it by on their feet they can any way they want to get it there they can get it there but they can't alter the message and that's what god's done for us See, you have, we have freedom as New Covenant believers to, we can use all sorts of different ways to get the, 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 the message delivered, but we can't change the message. And you know what is wrong with so many churches? They're hung up on how it's getting delivered. They're fighting about, well, I don't think it ought to be on a ship. Well, I think it ought to be on a truck. Well, I think it ought to be on a bicycle. Shut up. That doesn't matter. Don't change the message. Who cares how you get it there? You see, we get all twisted up. And so what we're doing is, we're, you got churches fighting about how they're going to get the message there. 
they don't like this, they don't like that, they don't like this, they don't like that. Is it the message? That's all that matters. Then on the other hand, you've got other churches, that if they're not fighting about how to deliver the message, then they're altering the message to fit their way. And I'm just losing my mind in the middle. Looking around going, hmm. There's a great temptation to avoid the offensive parts of Scripture. You don't think I face that temptation? You don't think I wouldn't want to come in here and tell you some jokes and make you giggle and feel good about yourself? And I mean, sure. I'd love to do that. But I can't. See, here's the thing. Whatever, wherever God takes you, wherever He leads you, wherever, whatever, just whatever you do, never, ever, ever attend a church that does not preach through books of the Bible. Ever. Because if you do, I don't care anything else about that church, you are going to go astray. Because if you let me pick and choose, if every Sunday I just go, what am I going to preach on Sunday? It's never going to be the hard things. I mean, think about it. It's not getting easier. It's getting harder. The pressure is going up, 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 right? And so, you know, nobody... You know, you got, you got a $40 million budget. You got 27,000 people coming every weekend of 17 campuses and 46 services. You're not going to stand up there and start saying, well, the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says there's only two genders. It's man and woman. I don't care what kind of emoji they put on your phone. It ain't going to change it. You, you think they're going to say that? Now they got a $47 million budget. They can't say that. They're not going to stand up there and say, you know, well, God created the world in six days. That's how it happened. If you don't like it, well, then take it up with God. That's what the Bible says. Stop coming up with all your little scientific dumb excuses. The Bible says he did it in six days. Now, if you don't believe that, that's fine. But clearly you don't believe he can save you because it's easier to create the whole world in six days than it is to save a wicked sinner like me. You think they're going to say abortion's taking a human life? No. Because you know there's people who have had an abortion. Well, of course. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm just got to be honest. It's wrong. It's no more wrong than the things I've done. We've all done wrong things, but it's still wrong. Are they going to say that the father ought to be the spiritual leader of the home? No. Nobody wants to hear that. They're going to tap dance around it. See, all this confusion ends when we're not trusting in how we feel. We're not trusting in how... It's not how it makes me feel. It's not how it makes you feel. It's not how I make you feel or how you make me feel. 
It's just about what God says. And whatever God says, whatever the ramifications are of what God says, we're just going to live in that zone, whatever that is. See? So if it's me and 12 people, then then I'm going to preach the truth to 12 people. If it's me and 1,200 people, I'm going to preach the truth to 1,200 people, and that's what we're going to do. If it's in a house, or it's in a church, or it's in a stadium, or it's in a shed, it's the... It's, how you deliver it doesn't matter, but the message doesn't change. And don't, don't get tangled up making things part of the message that aren't part of the message. Because remember, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know what happens when we follow the the majority? You know the majority of Germans before World War II supported Adolf Hitler. The majority. Yeah. You know the majority of people in the southern states of the United States before the Civil War supported slavery. You see what happens when you listen to the majority? You don't listen to the majority. If, if in either of those two cases, somebody would have just read their Bible, they might have been ostracized. They might have been persecuted. They might even have lost their lives. But they would have been right. See, you got to, you got to this is what I'm saying. If you don't know what the truth is, you have to know what is the truth. It's not the majority opinion or personal feeling. It's the person of Jesus Christ. See, and this is the thing. It's not just, do I, can I quote this, a scripture? No, I mean, sure, I want you to be able to quote a scripture. But what I'm talking about is, can, do, you, do you know you know what the Bible says? You trust in the character of God. You know that God is the God Paul says he is. He's the God that cannot lie. That's, he cannot lie. Remember Jesus said to Pilate, For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Now think of the moment he's in. The world is against him. You could not possibly come up with a moment in time where there's an individual more alienated than Christ in this moment and yet look at his look at look at his utter devotion and purpose to his mission and even in that moment when it seems like he's alone the only one he says everyone who is of the truth hears my voice now even if it's zero if they're of the truth they hear my voice. I mean, what did Jesus say? I know my sheep. They hear my voice. They, they, hear, they listen to me. They listen. You might know who the shepherd is, but that doesn't make you one of his sheep. 
You might know where, they, where he grazes his sheep. You might know all this information about it. See, Satan doesn't have to get the church to reject the truth if he can get you to reduce it. Just reduce it. Just adjust it. Just adjust it. Look, I'm telling, I've told you this before. I'm telling you again. I'm just prepping you for the, for, for, you know, we got a little Armageddon coming down the pike here. It's coming. It's coming. And when it comes, you're, the elders of this church are going to declare war against it. And there's, and there's going to be a lot of fallout. Okay? It's going to be a lot of fallout. Because the world, I'm talking about the evangelical world right now. There is such a tiny percentage of people that are willing to stand up and say, I know this sounds crazy. I know this is unpopular. I know this is... But we're not ordaining women into the ministry. Now you watch and see what happens. I'm telling you, we're going to have World War III. And I'm telling you right now, I will die before I change. Because that's what the Bible says. I mean, you can, you can whine. You can tell me how unfair that is. You can tell me you can, you can come up with anything. But the Bible says that. I've studied it every which way there is. I know every single word in every single verse that talks about it. But they're, they're dropping like flies. Denomination after denomination after denomination after denomination. And I'm just telling you. It's going to be bad. But I'm telling you now. If you think otherwise, you ought to start hunting you a new place. Because it's not going to be here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring a sword. Well, there's a perfect example. And remember the prophecy in Amos chapter 8, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, but not a famine of food or thirst of water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Boy, I'm telling you, I, I mean, we're there. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. It's so rare. All right. The last thing truth's going to do is it's going to deepen our affections. I couldn't have made it work out this way, but I am grateful. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a, a little uh, kid's fairy tale or something. Thank goodness we get to end on a positive note. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God to the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So who, this Titus, 
a true son. Who is he? He's, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's an uncircumcised Gentile, which doesn't mean anything to you or to me in our context. But this is, but, but he's, so, so he is a, 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 he wears a turban and he rides a camel and he's from Iran. So if he moves in next to you, you're going to be stressed out. If you call, you're like, honey, our new neighbors just showed up on a camel. The dude, I'm pretty sure he's wearing a turban. Lisa, I need you to sell my house. Oh, I mean, but that's what Titus was. I mean, in a, in, a, in a church Jewish context, he's a Gentile and he's uncircumcised. And that'll make sense as we go through this, but, you know. So Titus, what you got to understand about Titus, he's Paul's troubleshooter. Timothy is, um, look, you can just figure this out yourself. There's two books, two letters written to Timothy, ten chapters to Timothy, one little three-chapter book to Titus. Now, that tells you something. See, I relate to this perfectly because people that I am in authority over, and if I need them to do something, if you're, very, if you're a highly competent person, then I can tell you this much information, walk away and have total confidence you're going to get it done. But if you're a little... It might take two letters and ten chapters to get you to do this. And in the process, I might have to say, now, don't be timid. And if your tummy hurts, take some wine for it. Titus was a man. Paul sent Titus to do the work nobody else would do. Titus is the one Paul sent to Corinth in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And a lot happened. And he's sending him into look at look at verse 12 and 13 like the prophets say now remember he's sending him to crete and he goes the cretans are always liars evil beasts and lazy gluttons and then paul goes yeah that's true imagine if he was sending timothy there timothy be like oh my my tummy come on you know i mean timothy be panicking timothy was a blessing but he wasn't Titus. Titus bowed up like, just give, me the, just give me the basics. I'm going in. It was a rough place. The, the, the Crete was inhabited by mercenaries. There was no churches established there. There were home churches. So these were some seriously rough people. And so he sends them in. You know, Titus was the man for the tough assignment. That's who he was. And Paul says, my true son. Now notice, what he, notice, notice how the, the context of this. He says, grace and peace from God the Father. Right? And Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have true faith, you have true family. He didn't say, 
grace and peace from God the commander, God the ruler, God the king. He said God the father. Now, you may have true faith and are not experiencing true community, but you have true community. You have true family. Your experience may not bear it, but that's your fault. But see, if you've been born again, you've been born again into something, and one of the things you've been born again into is the family of faith. You've been adopted into a family. That's just how that works. There's no other way around it. You have it. So what happens is, is that in Christ, our relationships, think about this and we're done. I want you to really think this through. In Christ, here's one of the things that happens. In Christ, your relationships, our relationships, deepen. They deepen. Now, if you tell me that you had deeper, stronger, more abiding relationships pre-Christ than you do in Christ, something is horrifically wrong with your life. It's horrifically wrong. Either you're lost or you are in the most dysfunctional group of people that, that I can possibly imagine. Because one of the manifestations, one of the results of uh, true faith is that it, our relationships deepen because we are, we're no longer acquaintances. We're brothers and sisters. We're fathers and mothers. We're daughters and sons. And so I want you to understand, I want to help you now, why so many people struggle with this. Most relationships are superficial because people put their own needs first. That's why. That's why. If you, if you struggle with community, because I, I know you for 25 years. I've been... I've been playing the same game, herding the same cats. That's what I feel like. I just, I just, uh, 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 and it's everyone else's fault, isn't it? No, it's not. You're selfish. That's why you don't have community. You're selfish. That's why. I know you don't like it. I don't either, but it's true. See, in Jesus is the only way that we learn to put others ahead of ourselves. That is the most unnatural thing to the human to flesh. It is utterly unnatural. Now, see, some of you are like, you know, some of you are moms and you, you know, are like the living martyr for your kids or your husband or all. That is not what I'm talking about. That has nothing to do with anything. Because that's all tainted by uh, a million other things. You're, you're getting things in response. I'm talking about people that you have nothing to gain anything from. 
That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people you're related to. I'm not talking about people who can return the favor. No. It is utterly, completely unnatural to the human flesh to put other people who, who can't do anything to re, repay you. To put them before yourself. But see, here's what happens. The truth of God, it enhances your character. That's what it does. See, just think about it. When you, when you begin to walk with God, things happen. I mean, should we, we, I mean, it would, it's kind of embarrassing, you know. We don't have to just go through the list of all the things that changed with Tony. But it was a lot. And a lot of them were very evident and obvious. Right? It was the same thing with you. We got saved and we changed. We stopped lying. We stopped cursing. We stopped cheating. We stopped stealing. We stopped a lot of other things. We stopped doing those things. Why? Because it enhanced our character. We changed. There's only one way that happens. There's only one way you change from the inside out. Only one. All right, so here's your takeaways. This is question number one. Who or what are you a slave to? You should answer that question. Now, according to Scripture, Romans chapter 5, you go home and read it. Every single breathing human being on planet Earth is a slave. You got that? There is no such thing as a person alive that's not a slave. Everybody. So you are 100% a slave to something or someone. So what is it? Who is it? You should answer that question. Honestly, in your heart, you should really look through it. Then you, sh- then you should ask, answer this question. Well, who are you? Like, who are you? What makes you, you? I mean, how did God put you together? How did God, you know... We, we know Psalm 139 says he knit you together, but how did he knit you together? I don't want to be the only person in your life that whenever we're talking, I'm always pointing out all the ways that God knit you together. Like you should be doing that for, you know, you should be figuring that for yourself and people around you should be figuring that out. Like pointing that out. You know what I mean? That's, I'm constantly pointing that out. I love to point that out to you. Hey, I see this in you. I see that in you. Hey, you, you know you're good at that. Hey, you're, you know, that, because it's, it's, I want you to know who you are. Why are you? Why? Why are you you? Why are you here? Why do you exist? Why? Why did God make you? So you might know how God made you, but then the next question is, well, Why? Why did God feel like the world would be incomplete without you? More specifically, why did God feel like this region of the world, this little quadrant of the world, that, that the, the, the people that he put you in, why did he put you in those people? What was it about you that they needed? What is it about this place that needs you? Why, do, why did he put you here? Why are you here? There's a reason. And then lastly, you should say, well, where do you go for peace? We, 
you got to have a place to go for peace. And it's very informative, like when the wheels fall off, you know, then life gets crazy. Where do you go for peace? I think as time goes on, I need more. I have to go for peace more, not less, more. I want that for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you.